0: Welcome to the Somerset Emotional Well-Being Podcast. Um, my name is Dr. Andrew Traseda, and I'm joined by my colleague, Peter Pikeshaw. Great, Peter. Well, today we're talking on behalf of Somerset CCG about dementia, which is really a, quite a, a challenging topic, both what it is, the emotional impact, and, and many other aspects. So would you be able to help us
1: work through this, this topic? As you say, it's a it's a huge topic to cover, isn't it? So I'll I'll try and sort of go through the basics, and you uh, pick up on things that uh, you you think I haven't covered. So first of all, the scale of it: um, there are eight hundred and fifty thousand people plus living with dementia in the UK, and because of demographics, that's a number that a lot of people think will double over the next thirty years. It costs the economy twenty three billion a year, and it's the most feared diagnosis in the over fifties. So That's kind of giving an idea of the scale. Um, As to the nature of dementia, it's a neurodegenerative disease. So the brain is degenerating. And in that sense, it's like uh, uh, other things like Huntington's disease. um, And there are a number of different varieties of dementia. Alzheimer's disease is the best known. And that's the commonest just under two thirds of people with dementia have Alzheimer's disease. Um, About one in five have vascular dementia. And then smaller numbers have uh, Lewy body dementia or frontotemporal dementia.
0: And how would I know that I was developing dementia or what sort of things would I need to look out for in a relative that would give me
1: a clue? Yes, a very important question to ask. And one of the problems with dementia is that those of us who unfortunately start to get it often aren't aware of the problem. And I'm sure that's something that you've come across many times in surgery, isn't it, Andrew? That that people will have quite severe memory problems and and be unaware of it. So a lot of people I see who, who come into me and say, I think I've got dementia. Actually, they're simply getting anxiety and that's affecting their memory because of the anxiety. So for relatives, I think it's really important that they spot the early signs. And it's not just about memory. uh, It's also about cognitive function, how we manage our day-to-day tasks. So if somebody was previously able to work the remote control on the television and now they struggle, for instance, that might be one of the signs. So it's, it's having difficulty with things that we're previously able to do well.
0: And does it always come on suddenly? Is it something that you have one week and you didn't have the week before? Or is it it more gradual? Does it vary? How does it work?
1: It varies, but almost always it's a very gradual process. If it were to happen suddenly, you would think of, of other things. So a lot of us particularly as we get older, if we have an infection, say a urinary tract infection, we'll suddenly become confused and have memory problems. So if it's a sudden onset, then you would think of other things, and it's really important to exclude those, uh, because a lot of them are are eminently treatable. So it's generally a gradual process.
0: So it's a gradual process, and once it's started... um Is it inevitable that within a few months one's going to become severely disabled? Is it a very different time course? Is it? Can it take years? Can it reach a plateau? Can what what sort of? What are the various things? Because you said it's the most feared diagnosis over fifty, and I'm I'm interested that 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 cancer seems to be the big one that frightens many of us. But uh, that's that's really interesting. So um, can you sort of demystify what the likely likely
1: trajectory is please yes and in answer to your question yes to all of the above so um it can be progressive the classic thing is that it will happen very very gradually and to start with people will notice that they're struggling to remember things and then their behavior may start to be affected and then it leads on to more severe dementia usually over a period of several years you mentioned plateauing and that can certainly happen so a lot of people with early memory problems, uh, and we call it in, in the jargon of the trade, mild cognitive impairment, a lot of people will actually stay with that and it won't go on to frank dementia. So about 15% a year of people with mild cognitive impairment uh, will progress to frank dementia and a lot will just stay with mild memory problems.
0: So the good news is that six out of seven won't.
1: Yes. And the even better news is that we're beginning to discover things that might help us be in that six out of seven. So it looks as though lifestyle is really important.
0: I was just going to ask for that. So if, you know, Here is a progressive degenerative disease of the brain, which uh, I don't know if it's inevitable at all, because I, I've met people who are very old, who are sprightly and agile, and their minds are completely with it. So the good news is there are many people who are, very uh, their brains are very well
1: preserved and um, but what can we do to avoid it that is now very well looked at and it, it comes down to the sort of things that we do about he- healthy living generally so there's the adage of what's good for the brain is good for the heart uh, so for instance we know that uh, blood pressure diabetes um obesity, smoking, physical inactivity, all of those make dementia more likely to happen. And so addressing those mainly through metabolic syndrome, which is this underlying condition, where if we eat too much, we put on weight, and it seems to affect all sorts of other things.
0: So the positive messages of of use those muscles that we've got, keep keep active, uh, don't eat excessively. And they do say that if you eat a little less than you actually feel hungry you you eat less than less than to society what's the word satiety anyway you you eat less than you wanted and the the, the system runs leaner and meaner and, and better and uh, avoid smoking if we can because we know that causes arterial problems uh, and keep blood pressure under good control and that's another one where exercise is is good and metabolic syndrome, which is particularly a problem of excessive calories that aren't burnt off and particularly excessive carbohydrates,
1: I gather. Yes, it's one of those uh, conditions that probably underlies an awful lot of our current ill health in terms of heart disease and other degenerative diseases. And it's very little understood and little known about. But you're right, it does seem that cutting down food, particularly carbohydrates and sugars, seems to be the best way to reduce that. Um, and that there is evidence that even if you've got early dementia, making those lifestyle changes uh, can have a positive impact and keep you well.
0: That's good. Can I ask about alcohol? What's the current thoughts on, on the contribution of alcohol to memory loss and to types of dementia? Um,
1: it wasn't included in one of the, the early studies, uh, but it now is. And so it looks as though any insult to the brain Makes you more vulnerable to dementia. So anything that attacks the brain, and of course, alcohol sadly is is a toxin. Uh, So, in moderation, probably not a problem, but excess alcohol, uh, very much so. And in fact, there's a a particular type uh, of uh, dementia, uh, Wernicke Korsakoff syndrome, that's uh, absolutely related to alcohol. Other damage as well, strokes and head injuries and things like that seem to make us more vulnerable as well.
0: And, and on the alcohol, I remember when I used to do um, police medicine, um, we always used to give people coming in um, thiamine. Uh, and I learned that from a consultant psychiatrist in Somerset who who talked very much about um, alcoholism, but also that normal people who have a binge on alcohol develop microhemorrhages in their mammillary bodies in the brain. But this is entirely preventable and reversible by thiamine supplementation. Uh, and apparently many years ago, they were thinking of putting thiamine and making it Uh, making it mandatory in alcoholic drinks but uh, nothing came of that however we can all take our own supplements
1: if we if we if we binge or even as a preventative yep absolutely i I think that's increasingly recognized that a lot of the things that we we say are due to alcohol damage are exactly vitamin b deficiency secondary to that so but Probably better not to do the binge drinking in the first place. (laughs) Indeed, Uh,
0: indeed, indeed.
1: indeed. And then I think it's worth mentioning a couple of other things that that apply to dementia that are risk factors. So we know that depressions and social isolation and interestingly, hearing loss has come through as being a risk factor as well. So all those things that isolate us are, are not just bad for our mental health, as we've discussed many times, but actually make us more vulnerable to dementia.
0: And that may be partly because the brain's not working so much on input and so it, it slows down. It's a question like the local post office, use it or lose it. And the more we keep it active, the more it, the more it works.
1: Absolutely. There are also a certain number of drugs that you have to be a little bit careful of uh, that, that make you more prone to dementia. Basically, anything that says on the, the packet may make a, you drowsy and cause a dry mouth. Uh, is likely to have an adverse. Effect. The
0: anticholinesterases and, and other other medications. Exactly.
1: Anticholinergic. Anticholinergic side. Yes.
0: Uh, and and I'm sure there are some. We'll, we'll come on to how to um, access your GP and things presently. But are there any societies that are, you would particularly recommend with information about uh, the, the topic?
1: Yes, and they have an enormous amount of of um, both local help and and helpful leaflets online alzheimer's uh, society are absolutely the the best place to go so if people want to contact them you can just put alzheimer's society into your search engine uh, their web address is www.alzheimers.org.uk and they also have a very good helpline uh, dementia connect and their support line is oh 150 three, four, five, six, but just put into a search engine Alzheimer's Society. And I think it's important to stress that it's not just for people with Alzheimer's dementia, it's for people with any sort of memory problem or dementia.
0: Thank you, Peter. So we've talked about a little bit about what it is. So it's a global cognitive impairment with specific areas at times. um, And a memory loss is what uh, what often manifests, or maybe word finding difficulties, or other issues. Um, what would I expect if I if I was worried about my my, my relative and and took them to um, to the GP or or, or asked for help? What what should I expect? And and is there any treatment available?
1: Yes, there is. Um, sadly, the treatment we've got at the moment doesn't slow the condition down, but we've we've got this group of drugs that cholinesterase inhibitors, uh, which do help. It it gives us about a six-month extra time, probably, in terms of what to expect. So do go to the GP. A lot of people are fearful to do it. There's a lot of reluctance, but it's really important to to get it picked up because it can be helped. So if they go to the GP, they're likely to be asked a few questions about their memory. Uh, The clock test, I'm sure you're very familiar with where we get people to draw the numbers of a clock and then draw the hands at 10 past 11, ask them a few simple questions. And if it's obvious from that that there's a memory problem, they'll usually be referred to a memory clinic where slightly more intensive questions will be asked. We'd also recommend blood tests because uh, there are things, for instance, like underactive thyroid that can mimic memory problems. So it's important to rule out those preventable causes of memory problems. And then depending on your circumstances and frailty, uh, it may be that imaging is recommended, a CT scan of the head. Um, so go to the GP at the first sign of problems is, is, I think, the the main message I'd want to give on that.
0: I think a lot of people are frightened not only of the diagnosis, but uh, of, of even... Um, being diagnosed, because I'm sure many of us think, well, if I've been, if I'm told I have dementia, then I'll lose my driving license automatically. And we're in a rural county, and, and, and many of us find cars very useful. Have you got any comments on that? Is is it automatic that that a diagnosis means you lose your driving license?
1: No, a- absolutely not. So, um, if we have a diagnosis of dementia, then we have to inform the DVLA. Um, and if it's mild dementia, then we can generally continue to drive. So when we inform the DVLA, uh, they'll request a medical report from the GP and make it, make a decision. And assuming that the GP feels that the person is safe to drive, then they'll be issued an annual license and it will be reviewed. And there's interesting evidence showing that the risk uh, of road traffic accidents for people with dementia doesn't seem to increase until they've had dementia for about two years. So for early dementia, then uh, it's important to, uh, to inform DVLA, but most people are able to continue driving.
0: I suppose some of us would think, well, if I don't tell anyone, it doesn't matter. But the trouble then, of course, is if you do have a, a car accident at some point and it comes out to the insurance company that you have a medical condition that you haven't informed about, um, there's a problem.
1: There, there definitely is. You wouldn't be covered if you haven't notified. And, and of course, it's not just harm to yourself from risk of a dent to the car. It, it's the risk of, of hurting, possibly even killing other people uh, on the road. So it, it's a really important thing.
0: And tell me about the things that happen in couples. Let's say I'm I'm in my 80s and I'm living with my 80-year-old 80, 80 partner, my wife or partner, and um, and one of us gets dementia. What's, what's the burden on the others? other likely to be? and Is there any help available?
1: Yes, it it can be very difficult indeed. And my heart goes out to people uh, in that situation. In early dementia, then it it just becomes a nuisance and is a question of reminding the person with dementia. But in mid to late dementia, unfortunately, some people get behaviour changes. Occasionally, they'll become aggressive. They'll sometimes stop recognising the person. And that can be extremely difficult. So support for carers is incredibly important. So I think it's worth saying something about the support that there is for dementia generally, uh, including carers. And this has come on in leaps and bounds in the last five years or so. So you're probably aware that that most areas now uh, have dementia-friendly communities. Again, if you contact Alzheimer's Society, they can put you in touch with the local support. In Somerset, we're, we're lucky in having this village agent uh, system, which is very good for supporting people with not just dementia, but living alone and, and other health problems. Uh, so it's, again, a diagnosis of dementia is important to unlock all of those services. We have talking cafes, which a lot of carers find extremely helpful. And again, Dementia Connect from the Alzheimer's Society Uh, runs a a huge amount of help for people who are carers. So it's all about living well with dementia.
0: Right, and this is a case where actually a positive diagnosis is actually very
1: beneficial to support and to your wellbeing going forward. Very much so, yes. It unlocks a lot of help.
0: Well, that's that's very reassuring. Thank you for that. Um, Can any of us get dementia?
1: Yes. Um, As you said earlier, a, a lot of people are in their hundreds and have absolutely no memory problems at all. Age is the main risk. Um, the, The genetics are not that great for most dementias. So I don't think we need to worry that if we have somebody in our family with dementia, we're inevitably going to get it. It's not like that. It's a relatively small increased risk. And as we were saying earlier, the main way to reduce our risk is by adopting a a healthy lifestyle. Yes.
0: And tell me, um, sometimes dementia and depression can coexist. Can somebody actually look like they've got dementia that's come on perhaps relatively quickly, but actually it's depression? Can that ever happen?
1: Definitely. So for a lot of people with early dementia, apathy is one of the main characteristics, and obviously it is with depression as well. And it can be really difficult to tell between the two. Uh, and again, we medics have always got posh words for these things, haven't we? Uh, so we, we tend to call it depressive pseudo dementia. Uh, and sometimes you can't be sure as a doctor whether somebody has depression or dementia or a bit of both. And a trial of treatment for depression is often worthwhile in that situation. And that, of course, is reversible.
0: Of course, depression is eminently treatable, as we we've talked about before, mm. uh, and and really mustn't be 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 missed. Um, thank you. So, in what other ways might somebody act as though they had dementia? In fact, I, I have a I have a brief story. I was working as a police um, um, surgeon, and, and this was in Taunton, and there was somebody who was brought in. Uh, an old lady in her 60s or 70s um, and she had been caught shoplifting but actually when I was asked to examine her she didn't know who she was, where she was, what her name was and it was only by some clever detective work by, by my police colleagues that we found out who her doctor was because she was able to remember that and, and um, we found out that actually she wasn't shoplifting at all, she was just had dementia sadly and didn't know that was happening.
1: Um, um, and that's particularly common in the frontotemporal dementia that I touched on earlier. So so that can cause uh, behavior changes. So it's another thing if, if we notice that a, a loved one is suddenly behaving in an uncharacteristic way, then that can be early signs of frontotemporal dementia. So, yes, again, well worth looking out for.
0: So, for support generally in Somerset, uh, whether you're a carer or whether you're someone who has any, uh, any condition uh, with, to do with mental health, Mindline on 01823 276 892 is always important to make and they si- can signpost us to particular ways for help. Um, Peter, one or two particular issues. Sometimes people with dementia get agitated. Um, is, there, is there anything we should know about that?
1: Yes, that, that tends to happen in middle to late dementia. Um, and and people talk about going back into their second childhood, which is a very common thing because they'll, they'll get lost in time. They'll think that they're not where they are. They'll think that they're back. Um, maybe they'll be having hallucinations. That can happen in dementia. Uh, they'll be disorientated. And that can cause agitation. And you'll probably have, uh, our listeners are probably aware of the, the, term sundowning, where people particularly will get agitated and distressed in the evening uh, when it's darker and and there are fewer cues to help them. So I think for people dealing with folk who are agitated, a few simple rules are not to try and convince them that what they're thinking is wrong. Don't argue with people if they appear agitated because it doesn't get anywhere. So accepting their worldview is a much better way to do it. Making sure that things are as familiar as possible and that there are lots of cues and things are well lit. Those simple things can help agitation. There are drugs you can use for agitation, but they have a lot of side effects and are very much a last resort.
0: And I would imagine if if somebody's got pain somewhere, you know, for instance, they've got an ingrowing toenail or if they've got... uh, um, um an acute um, infection or, or any other sort of stimulus, can, can that cause a, deter- a temporary deterioration or agitation?
1: Yes, very much so. So it's it's very important for us as doctors, if, if we see somebody who's agitated, not just to say, oh, well, it's their dementia, we'll look at sedative drugs, but to take a, a whole picture, uh, look at that person and see if there might be something else causing the problem. And, and very often it is something simple, as you say, like pain, constipation, um, other sorts of distress that, that can be addressed.
0: Thank you. That's, that's very helpful. The, so the good news is that um, just because we get a bit forgetful doesn't mean that we're developing dementia. So although it's a diagnosis that many of us fear... Uh, and it's not uncommon. Actually, many people will not get dementia. Many people will get some mild cognitive impairment that won't um, progress and that we can all do our bit in keeping our muscles, our brains, our hearts and everything else healthy by using them, by lifestyle changes, by, by enjoying our beautiful Somerset countryside as much as we can and uh, by eating wisely and um, being moderate with the alcohol and, and avoiding the cigarettes.
1: Absolutely, and I'd, I'd add to the, uh, the good news that Somerset has quite low rates for dementia because of all the things that you've mentioned. So it, it's one of those things where we're sometimes criticised for not picking up enough people with dementia, but part of the reason is that our rates are actually lower because people in Somerset heed those healthy lifestyle advice. Thank you. That's great. Um, just before we come to the
0: end, why is it that sometimes people with dementia, particularly if they're in a care home or, or, or something like that, they, they, they become upset and they say they want to go home or that they're waiting for a bus to come and pick them up?
1: Yes. People get altered reality. So uh, one of the issues, for instance, is that they found that if you have mirrors in care homes, people looking into the mirror because they will think of themselves, often going back 20, 30, 40 years, they'll see their parent and get distressed by that. Um, likewise, if you have the usual sort of sparkly, hard-wearing floors, that can, to somebody with dementia, look as though it's, it's water and slippery, and they can avoid that. So these simple distortions of perception can cause a lot of distress. And people will become disoriented in time and not think that they're where they actually are and, and so want to return to what in their mind is home. So it, from their perspective, they're acting rationally and reasonably.
0: So they, they lose context. Um, is, is that what's happening to me? I, I get out of the shower in the morning and I look at myself in the mirror and I notice that my hair is much darker and I think I've got younger overnight. But... <laughs> <laughs> I'm told it's only because it's wet. I'm sure I don't believe that. but
1: uh... <laughs> Well, I think you and you and I are both getting to an age where we're just glad to have hair of any colour. So, um, uh, that's, uh...
0: Of, of course, a, a famous person who had relationships with Somerset was Terry Pratchett, and that was a, a sad loss. But he, he kept on producing fascinating writings for a, quite some time, even when he'd uh, developed a, a level of dementia. So the creativity was obviously still flowing for him.
1: And I don't know if you've seen it. There's an absolutely wonderful clip uh, doing the rounds Twitter and elsewhere of this person with quite advanced dementia who can still improvise music on the piano, and his son will give him four notes, and he will produce absolutely beautiful music. If if anyone's um, gets the chance to to just look that up, I thoroughly recommend it. It's it's very very moving, and I think it, it's very important as we end to say that even people with quite advanced dementia, still feel. People may not remember what we say, but they'll remember the way we make them feel. So always talk gently to people with dementia, because they're still feeling emotions. They're still appreciating life, even though they they have lost that ability to store those memories.
0: Thank you, Peter. That's a really helpful uh, discussion about a a topic that uh, many of us find difficult. So it's really useful to know. And that brings us to the end of season one of our podcasts on behalf of Somerset Clinical Commissioning Group. And Peter, it's been a a great privilege to work with you on on these. And and thank you very much. And thank you to to David and to our producer, Rob, for all the help and uh, all those at Somerset CCG who've helped make this happen. And uh, is there anything you'd like to say finally, Peter, before we close?
1: Well, it, it's been a huge privilege to, to work with you, Andrew. And, and again, my, my thanks to David, who's been so enthusiastic in getting us on, uh, on uh, podcast sites that I didn't even know existed. Um, we've had well over a thousand listens from all around the world, and it's been absolutely fantastic. So if people want to feed back to us uh, what they think we've done right and wrong, what they'd like to hear in season two, hopefully that will happen, and, and anything that they'd like us to expand on. Uh, we, we'd be delighted to hear. And I, I hope that those of you out there have found some benefit from what we've done. Um, we've certainly enjoyed doing them. Uh, apparently, we're on Amazon, David is is telling us. And Audible and Amazon podcasts will be back very soon. So that's a final plug for the podcast series. <laughs> Thank you very much, David. All best. Thank you very much, Peter. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye.
0: You've been listening to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast, hosted by Dr. Andrew Tresider and Dr. Peter Bagshaw. The show was created by
1: David Seeley and was produced by Rob Hunts Music on behalf of the Somerset Clinical Commissioning Group.